0: welcome to coast to ghost i'm carly and i'm bee and we are two friends that met each other at build a bear and now we tell spooky stories to each other from across the country
1: so we wanted to start off this episode by thanking all of our listeners out there uh we have seen that we have listeners from 21 different states and four different countries so we really appreciate it and keep sharing and telling your friends about our podcast
0: I've literally never even been to twenty-one states.
1: I think I've been to maybe sixteen.
0: That's an oddly specific number.
1: I've counted. I kind of. I have a map for. I have a map behind me right now, and it's one of those coin scratcher ones. But I guess you can't. Oh, right there. There, Oh, dude, wait—is it? Oh,
0: I thought it was in glass for a second. I was like, "Are you?
1: How are you gonna scratch it through the glass?" But yeah, I've been to most like ninety percent of the states on the East Coast.
0: Dude, I want to get there eventually. I have traveled through some states to get to Wyoming, but not really. That's pretty cool. Uh, I don't know, man. Can't Like, no offense to anybody who
1: chooses to live in Kansas, but why? Like... I I feel, and if any of my friends listening know what state I'm going to say, uh, I feel that way about Nebraska.
0: Nebraska, dude, it's literally the same thing. It's, like, hills and like those giant wind turbines and that's the only thing you can see see. i feel
1: like i have just a bad outlook on nebraska but i feel like i need to go there to understand it and because i don't understand it
0: you know that tiktok audio where it's like how far would you go for your girl and he's like nebraska he's like oh fuck no not nebraska (laughs) that's how i feel (laughs) right (laughs) anywhere but nebraska so i have a question for you okay I didn't ask you this question before. Maybe I did a little bit. So (laughs) if it's the question, I think it is. I did not put
1: any thought into it. Oh, me either. That's (laughs) what makes it
0: like the best question. So the other day, Molly texted me and Molly's my sister. Um, And she was like, hey, how would you dispose of a body? Because I'm talking to someone right now and they want to know how. But I can't Google it because that just looks suspicious. And I was like, okay, interesting. So I want to know, how would you get rid of a body?
1: My first concern is, Molly, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> is this, I don't know how she, well, she knows this person. Maybe it's like
0: a nice 21 but questions but thing. Like,
1: but like, let's ignore that, that fact. That was red flags for a second. Um, so, hmm.
0: It's a it's a big question. I literally, I feel like there's so many ways to do it.
1: Because I know, like, a couple of the best ways, like, use acid to, like, you know, get rid of fingerprints, stuff like that, like, decaying, like, uh, pigs eat anything except your teeth. Um, hmm. dispose of a body
0: okay i'll narrow it down where would you bury a body if you had to like what location
1: what location because you live in a very swampy
0: area so i feel like it would be kind of hard like
1: maybe like like that's what i was thinking somewhere with lots of alligators maybe mm. because maybe the alligators would just munch on that you just like there's dump it in the water there's also currently a lot of Housing like subdivisions coming up, maybe like quickly yeet them in the, before the concrete. I don't know. <laughs> we're
0: just gonna throw the body into like a pit
1: before yeah, my, the my, concrete. My five, my five, two
0: self yeet. Just right over the shoulder, no shower curtain, nothing. You're just gonna go for it. We yeah, sound like psychopaths on. right now. I promise I'm we're clearly
1: not. clearly yeah. not good at this, <laughs> so I will how would you? How would you?
0: Well, I remember freaking my boss out the first like time I really we went out as like a group for dinner and I was so nervous because I like just started working there and I have social anxiety. So I was like, yeah, you know what? We're just gonna make subtle conversation. And me and my now best friend, but we barely knew each other at the time, started talking about the best ways to dispose of a body. And we unanimously agreed that the best place to bury a body is in a cemetery. Oh,
1: forgot right? those existed.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, like, it sounds like, oh, yeah, the natural thing, just throw them in, like, an already dug grave. Right. That could totally work. Or anywhere else. The only risk that you really run is, like, getting some bad juju, man. But I feel like if you've already killed someone and you're disposing you of them in a graveyard. Juju. Exactly. Like, you've already gotten to a place in your life where it's just like, okay, that's not fantastic hmm. So I don't know. We talked about that. And I remember my boss, like, listening into the conversation and he was just like, oh, I, I sign your paychecks. Like, don't <laughs> kill me. And we're just like, we're not going to do that. But it was just it, that moment stuck with me for a while. I feel like that would definitely be the way to go. And I feel like I got that from there's a show on MTV for literally like one season in 2017. <laughs> Yeah, MTV Cribs. Um, actually it was parental control. They got rid of the body on the first date. So
1: Wait, I did not see that episode.
0: Right? I know. It was just No, I'm kidding. It's, it was oh. actually I thought we
1: were doing a bit. I just, I did not understand the assignment. Oh, no,
0: it's you
1: tried your best
0: though. It was it was called um, Sweet Vicious mm. and I
1: still petitioned to have that show return every single day. So MTV if you're listening let's bring it back. So I have three shorter kind of stories today and since we're in the month of October I decided to go a little ghosty and so I have three ghost stories that revolve around the world of sports. You're pretty into sports huh? Yes, I'm very into sports. I'm,
0: I remember I wore a Red Wings jersey one time, and you were about to slit my throat.
1: <laughs> I was like, "Do you want to talk?"
0: I don't. I threw up on my other shirt, so very I had to get simple. another one, and that one was just there. So,
1: <laughs> so yeah, I decided to dip into a couple of my. You know, I like sports. I like paranormal, true crime. So I was like, let's merge them together. And all, like, sports are kind of, this is the time of year where they're all on TV, you know, and stuff. So I was like, tis the season. Bowling. <laughs> bowling. That was the only sport I know about. So that is the only contribution I have right now bowling. is bowling. All right, so my first story, I'm going to shout out my dad and my sister. Um, my first story takes place in South Bend, Indiana at the University of Notre Dame. So the University of Notre Dame is a private Catholic university founded in 1842 by Edward Soren, and they are super known in the sports world for their very successful football team. But my story does not, it kind of includes, it does include the football team, but it kind of takes place in a certain building called Washington Hall. So Washington Hall uh, is known to have a few deaths kind of surrounding them. Some deaths include a professor, a steeplejack, and also student-athlete George Gipp, who my story is about. Wait,
0: what is a, a steeplejack? So I had
1: to um, yeah. look that up, too. A steeplejack is just somebody who essentially Jack. is a repairman for very tall buildings. Oh, that's... I think that's what my grandfather was. Yeah, and it's like, I thought maybe they used that term because, you know, this build, this. University was founded in 1842, but no, it's like a current that you people still use that term. That's kind of dope. So, uh, George Gipp was born in feb on February 18th in 1895 in Michigan, and he decided to go to the University of Notre Dame to actually play baseball. But shortly after uh, arriving at the university, he was recru- recruited to play football. And for three years, he led the team in rushing and passing. He is currently Notre Dame's all-time leader. And this, remember, this is, like, early 1900s. This is going on. And he's still currently Notre Dame's all-time leader in average yards per rush, per season, career yards per play of total offense, and per game of total offense.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So, yeah. This boy's fast. Yeah. So, on December 14th in 1920, one night... George Gipp was returning from a night out, and he arrived to Washington Hall after curfew. He arrived at the door and realized his residence hall entrance was locked, and he was pretty familiar with the building, so he knew that the rear door typically was unlocked most of the time, but when he got there, he realized it was locked, so he ended up in December in Indiana, sleeping outside, where he contracted pneumonia.
0: Oh, God. So this was, like, early 1900s. You don't have, like, a keypad or a cell phone, so you just... Yeah,
1: and, like, they... So that was, like, the main story I heard. I did hear other stories that saying this was a lie, and another way he contracted pneumonia was he was helping, I believe, a fellow football player working on some stuff, and it was cold outside, so he just got pneumonia from... Being outside a lot. But the main story I did read was that he got locked out after a night out and slept outside. Damn, did he die from so pneumonia? He, yeah, he was still alive the next morning and then he got went to the hospital and he eventually passed away from pneumonia. But while in the hospital on his deathbed, one of his team members uh came by and they he George looked at him and was like, win one for the Gip." And that is to di- to this day like very well known in the football world at Notre Dame. They always say like "win one for the Gip." Like when I mentioned this story to my dad, my dad is not super into like paranormal stuff, but when I told him this, he was like, "Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about," and he like even said "win one for the Gip" before I even said that phrase. So it's pretty well known. So after that, um, I'm not exact. I didn't find an exact date for this or how long after this happened, but. Before Christmas in Washington Hall, a group of eight students awoke to a blast of a French horn. And Washington Hall was kind of known as, like, the music hall as well. Hmm. So there was musical instruments in there, but these eight students woke up and they immediately, like, went out to investigate because it was, like, middle of the night and this blast literally sounded like it was right next to their ear. And after investigating, they found absolutely, like, no one who could have possibly made that noise.
0: A French horn? How did they know (laughs) right away that it was a French horn? (laughs) Yeah,
1: I would have been like, that's a flute. And there was other stories about hearing, like, musical instruments move around or different, like, blasts of these specific musical instruments, and nobody could ever find the source of where these were coming from. A second occasion, a student from a neighboring building glanced. So he looked out his window and glanced at, it was known as the science building. And he saw a man galloping on a white charger on the steps of Washington Hall. So he was in the science building looking over at Washington Hall and saw random like went like he saw this guy and a horse. And after like trying to figure out who he saw, he realized the figure riding the horse was football legend George Gipp. Where did he
0: get a horse in the afterlife? Right.
1: Oh, my God. I want to know. Yeah, that'd be fun. And other instances of like them relating things back to the ghost of George was they would hear footsteps or other instruments, like I said, just kind of coming through Washington Hall, and they always said it was George Gibb. A writer for The Observer decided to spend the night in Washington Hall, and this was in the 1970s, and he reported seeing like a waving greenish figure like in the corner of the room. So when he went to take a picture all the picture came out and it was this like huge white like bulb like orb that came out Oh, damn and everybody knows white orbs and pictures sometimes are the afterlife trying to communicate with us and then another instance uh was in a 1989 article by the observer uh these students brought a ouija board into washington hall And, you know, nothing ever good comes out of a Ouija board. If you are listening, do not bring a Ouija board into your house. Only bad things will happen.
0: How many horror movies are literally named Ouija?
1: Like, someone needs to
0: take a hint.
1: So, they brought a Ouija board in, and the only thing that it was moving to was no and goodbye. Like, it was just going back and forth between no and goodbye. And then it finally went to S and G. And people were like, S and G? What does that mean? And then... So when they saw that, they, like, literally just picked everything up and, like, bolted out. And as they just leave the building, they look behind them and notice the security guard was just waking up. So it is believed that whatever spirit was communicating with them was telling them that they need to leave now because the security guard was about to wake up and catch them. And that's what the S and G stood for.
0: Why did my brain... My brain was like, oh, my God, Satan and God... And I was like, no, wait, that's not it. I'm really glad you said security guard.
1: Yeah, so George Gipp was also known as kind of a prankster, so that's why they related all, like, the musical instruments moving around and, like, because they're kind of, like, little pranky things, and that's what he was known for, especially as Ghost was known to be a little prankster.
0: Honestly, he sounds like a good
1: dude. Like, Yeah. Especially yeah. if he did contract pneumonia
0: from uh, helping out a fellow player, like, mm-hmm. one, if I was that other player, I would feel so beyond guilty, but yeah. it's really, like, he seems, like, pretty chill, like, there's nothing malevolent yeah, going not, on. Yeah,
1: he's not, doesn't sound like a malicious kind of spirit or ghost, just trying to have a little fun. Just chilling, I like that. Yeah, and there's also, like, again, Notre Dame was founded in 1842, so there's tons of other ghost stories, I just decided to pick, like, one of the more famous ones. Yeah, absolutely. So, my next location brings me back to my homeland of Canada, and it is about the Hockey Hall of Fame. So Hockey Hall of Fame. Where
0: in Canada is this located? That's Toronto,
1: Ontario. So, that's like about 45 minutes from where I'm from. Hmm. And hockey is one of my favorite sports, so another reason why I decided to pick this one. So, a little history on the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's original plans of being established permanently was supposed to be in Kingston, Ontario in January 1958. And the then the NHL and Canadian exhibit agreed on moving to Toronto, Ontario as a permanent location because I believe where it was in Kingston, the person who was rooting for it to be in Kingston passed away. So oh. then they were trying to figure out where else they could put it. So they agreed on Toronto, Ontario. And then after, So, it was at the Canadian National Exhibit, which it wasn't a, a permanent location. So, after that time was up, they decided to actually establish a pretty permanent location. So, in 1993, it located to its current location at the corner of Young and Front Street, which is a former Bank of Montreal location. So, the Bank of Montreal on the corner of Young and Front Street was originally built in 1885 in 1953 reports state that 19 year old dorothy was arrived at work super early one morning and she actually shot herself in the head in the bathroom she clocked
0: up- in to do that
1: i'm yeah, sorry so- that was rude <laughs> i'm so sorry so a re- the r- reports state that the reason why she shot herself in the head is because she was having an affair with the bank manager
0: and oh. He broke
1: it off with her, so she went into work super early, and when everybody came to work, they found her. So that was the message
0: right mm-hmm. there. It wasn't just like, you know, what if I'm going to die, I want to be paid for it. It was like,
1: fuck I you, want dude. You to suffer too. Yeah. Damn. So bad bitch. Uh, in the late uh, 1950s, while it was still obviously, so this happened in 1953. So later on in the 1950s. Bank reporter or bank workers would report lights turning on and off, doors opening, and closing. They would hear footsteps. They would their desk items on their desk would seemingly like move all by themselves. And in the bathroom that she shot herself in, uh, workers would feel incredibly uncomfortable in there. So uncomfortable to the fact that they built an entire new bathroom for the workers to go to in the basement because they were just. They had these very weird vibes from inside the bathroom.
0: That would not make me
1: feel more comfortable, like going into a basement. Basement, but that's how uncomfortable this bathroom was. That oh my god! They preferred to go to this one in the ba- in the basement of the building.
0: Braver than I am, I would generally just shit my pants, to be honest.
1: Not so with it. In- <laughs> And then in 1993, uh, the Bank of Montreal ended up becoming the what is now known as the Hockey Hall of Fame. So a couple instances of paranormal encounters in the Hockey Hall of Fame was a young boy was on a tour, and he stopped in his tracks and started staring at a wall. And everybody was like, what are you doing? And he was like, do you not see her? And everybody was like, what are you talking about? And he's, like, pointing at the wall, and he's like, do you not see her? I see her. And nobody else knew what he was talking about. Oh, my God. Yeah, kind of. Kids see things.
0: So do dogs. Yes. And cats and just animals in general. Anybody who's, like, way more sensitive to Mm -hmm. the paranormal.
1: And then another instance was one man uh, was going to the uh, bathroom on a tour of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and while he was in there, he heard a woman, like, screaming, and when he, it was, like, very, like, he explained it as incredibly uncomfortable, and, like, death screams that he was hearing from inside this bathroom, and when he walked out, he was, he didn't even have to say anything, he was just visibly frightened, so the tour guide was, like, what's up? And he was like, did you not hear anything? And remember he was on a tour and stopped to go to the bathroom. So the whole tour group was waiting outside of this bathroom for him. Oh my and God. This, and he said, he described these screams as like incredibly loud. And everybody was like, we did not hear a peep. We don't I know what you're talking get about. get
0: the hell out of there immediately.
1: Yeah. Uh, another instance was a former employee, Rob Hines was setting up an event in, I believe one room and he felt incredibly compelled like something was pulling him into the conference room and when he got into the conference room one of the chairs was just spinning uncontrollably
0: I uh,
1: and this is all attributed to this one spirit or that's what everybody kind of pulls it to is Dorothy
0: she's angry she's upset
1: yeah she's yeah unlike George Gipp. I feel like she's a little I and I've never been to the Hockey Hall of Fame to experience anything. I was about to say I'm sure anything, you're going to get
0: your paws on it eventually. Yeah,
1: eventually I'm going to go. But now I I feel I feel compelled to go. I'm not going go to go with you.
0: But <laughs> I wish you the best of luck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um I, and I also got all these stories from an ESPN article titled the 10 most haunted places in the sports world. So my next story takes place uh, in Madison, Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So the university was founded in 1848 when Wisconsin achieved its statehood. So if you know anything about a little bit of history, uh, around this time in the 1800s, the Civil War was going on. So in 1862, what is now known as Camp Randall Stadium, which is their football stadium, uh, actually named after Alexander Randall, who was the state who was a state's governor during the Civil War, who threatened to su- secede. That's how I say it, right? Secede?
0: Yeah, succeed. Yeah, secede. Because succeed is doing great, which is what I'm not doing right
1: now. <laughs> so, the stadium was named after Alexander Randall, who was the state's governor, who threatened to secede from the United States if Lincoln didn't win and end slavery. So good guy.
0: Yeah, he seems. So, I thought you were gonna say like, if Lincoln popped up and said, "Hey."
1: No, he was like, "Hey, this, boy, this stuff needs to end, or else we're leaving."
0: Oh, so not like South Carolina. No,
1: no, complete opposite. Good, great, okay. fantastic. <laughs> so this area was actually a Civil War training facility, and also what is now the stadium was a prisoner of war camp for Confederate prisoners captured in this area. So, the facility took in more than 1,000 soldiers, and this was in, like, April of 1862, and due to the large number of soldiers that they, soldiers that they captured, the facility was not prepared for this volume, and viruses and illnesses spread very rapidly. A hey, old friend tuberculosis <laughs> making
0: another pop-up. Probably, probably. Probably some, like, sepsis or something, too, yeah. but I'm gonna go with TB all
1: the way. It's probably what it was. So by June of that same year, uh, the prisoners moved, but 140 men had already passed away and were pretty much just thrown into a mass grave.
0: You know, I feel like that is always, did they ever think for one second, maybe this isn't the great, like the greatest idea in the world? I don't know. Like throwing all these people in in one one grave. grave. Like, you think maybe, you know, you shouldn't do that because of all the future things that are going to happen? Right. Right, like all the banks that are built on top of mass graves, or football stadiums, <laughs> or football stadiums.
1: <laughs> so, uh, in current time, uh, many tailgaters of so you know if you a little bit about University of Wisconsin Madison, they have a pretty good football team as well. Uh, but a lot of tailgaters have reported seeing men in Confederate uniforms walking in and out of the stadium. Because of its high volume, sometimes I go a little unnoticed, but here and there, tailgaters do capture, like, they do a little second glance because they see a little person out of place. In that it. is literally
0: the only thing I would notice. I don't right. know if I'm, like, way too involved in my surroundings because I'm, I'm a writer. Wow. <laughs> but I don't know if I just, like, pay way too much attention to what's going on, but, like, if I saw a man in a Confederate uniform walk into a football stadium, that is the first thing I'm gonna I would, notice. Yes, like,
1: yeah, completely out of place. And reports have said a lot of these men in Confederate uniforms have also been in like slings and bandages as well. And so it's like I'm dropping my place. fucking
0: stadium hot dog and I'm getting, I'm getting the getting fuck it. out of Wisconsin.
1: So the main theory about uh camp randall stadium is are you familiar you probably are with the stone tape theory
0: i have no clue what that okay. is
1: so um instead of these sightings being ghosts or spirits they're kind of more of recordings per se they're mental impressions during a severely traumatic events that are just embedded into the energy of the location so people sometimes experience a feeling of being overwhelmed or have very heavy feeling when entering the stadium, and so these sightings of the Confederate soldiers are not necessarily ghosts. It's just imprints of the bad energy that took place once in that location.
0: Hmm. So, like just uh, like old film on a
1: loop, pretty much. Kind yeah, of thing? yeah. It's just something huh. like, so bad happened in this location that. It's just kind of stuck, which I thought was an incredibly cool theory. Have you ever gotten that feeling anywhere? Um, I have uh, I've been to Pompeii in Italy a couple times so you get really icky feelings there. It's really overwhelming. yeah, it's very overwhelming, and you see some. I know there's one so I went once when I was, I want to say maybe 10 or 11 and then I went again when I was 18 and so good little time gap there but when I went when I was like 10 or 11 I specifically remember seeing this like girl she was like in fetal position and it's just covered in like rock or stone from like the lava and she, like she's with all these artifacts and I can picture it so well in my head and from when I and when I went back a second time when I was 18 like that's what I was looking for because I just remember it so clearly and it's just it's just a very odd place it's not odd it's just very eerie and there's like so much
0: chemical weight there that you can just like feel it and imagine it Mm -hmm. and just like there's no way around it kind of thing Yeah,
1: it's like it just it's so interesting to go and I if you ever have the chance I highly recommend everybody to but it's just not happy thoughts, obviously. See, I grew up
0: um, about an hour and a half away from Gettysburg, mm-hmm. and it feels like that same exact feeling of like that heaviness. We went into the Jenny Wade house, who, if you don't know, she was the only civilian ever killed in the Civil War. Oh. Um, she was like preparing food for some soldiers that were traveling through and a bullet went through not only her front door, but it went through the door of her sister's room that was open. So it went through two doors and then hit her in the spine. Oh
1: my gosh.
0: And yeah, and you could actually like tour the house and go through and like feel the bullet hole that was like through the door and just the amount of energy that is in that, like it's normal house, but it's right on the edge of the battlefield. So just the feeling and like
1: the electrical charge of it, is absolutely insane. Oh gosh, I bet. That's Yeah, that's I spooky. was terrified. That's sneaky. Yeah. Move. I got the chills. <laughs> so, and again, all these stories, uh, I just picked kind of the bigger stories in each of these locations, but I did find a small, little, interesting story again at the University of Wisconsin Madison. So, in 1919, when land was being cleared for a Lincoln statue, partial remains of two bodies were found and it was date these bodies were dated back to thousands of years this area used to be a sacred burial ground of course it was because why not let's just stick lincoln in there and so the bottom halves of these two and these two were just you know leftover bodies that when i believe what happened was they like tried to move the mass grave from this like ancient burial site and they just kind of missed two. Um, But the two, so the bottom halves of these two bodies were found in 1919, and then three years later, the tops of the bodies were found.
0: (laughs) It took three years to find the other half of the bodies.
1: Yeah. And they believe that these bodies were left there somewhere around the 1830s. So then coming a little recently, not recently, but in the early 2000s, a student was showing her friend's sister around, and the sister, it was from Taiwan, so her English was not the best, and they were having, like, a super good time, the sister was really enjoying her tour around the university, but when they get to the statue, she becomes, like, visibly terrified, but doesn't really say anything why, she just kind of stops in her tracks and is, like, uncomfortable, and when she was brought back to her brother her the friend uh, the friend who was giving the tour asked the brother like hey do you know what's going on like she kind of seemed a little off and so when the brother talked to his sister she said that when they got to the lincoln statue and she went to look up at it she saw two like top halves of the bodies staring at her and their faces were just directly smiling at her
0: If you guys could see my face right now, (laughs) I think that is the most terrifying visual that I have heard.
1: Yeah, that is.
0: Oh my god. I don't know why I saw it so clearly, but damn. Nope.
1: Mm -mm. They were just like popping out around Lincoln, like smiling.
0: That is literally the worst thing I have ever heard in my life, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Holy shit. But yeah, those are my little spooky October oh stories. For god, this
0: dude, you got me. You got yeah, me with some of those. I, <laughs> you know, I am sitting in this office by myself right now, and there's nothing behind me except for snow. So I'm like, oh my god,
1: what the? <laughs> like I feel the need to look over mm-hmm. my shoulder right now. That's how I was like, when I started researching this, I. St- was like starting off like late at night and I was like you know what nope I'm gonna do this broad daylight in in my living room sun blaring on me just so I don't feel super right I out.
0: feel like I haven't touched on anything paranormal I think neither of us have really touched on I something the, super paranormal the first
1: episode yes I yeah the first Robert episode Udall. was paranormal yeah
0: but other than that we've been doing like Outlaws and like Science and which is super cool but yeah. usually I'm I lean more into like the spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was really refreshing to hear. Hey guys, here's a little break in between to plug some of our social media because we are still very much lacking in a website. Websites cost money, and that is also something we're lacking in. So if you want to find us, you can follow us on Instagram at c2gpod. Or if you have any spooky stories that you want us to include in an episode, the easiest way to get in contact with us is by email. That's going to be coast2ghostsubmissions at gmail.com. As always, if you're listening on Apple Music or Spotify, don't forget to leave us a review. So, I followed you a little bit (laughs) without telling you. Oh. I also picked three very specific things that I want to talk about. So, they're not going to be super long, but they are going to be something. And it's something I've always been interested in. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of foreshadowing.
1: I just want to let you guys know, if you re-listen to any of Bee's stories and you know the ending, her foreshadowing is absolutely immaculate i love re-listening to the story she tells because obviously i'm surprised when she first like tells me but then when i re-listened i'm like oh my god she literally gave it away and i didn't even know
0: that is so nice That is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) Over the years, things that were considered dangerous have gotten the reputation of being so. There are cigarettes, for example. In the 1930s through the 1950s, nicotine and cigarettes were considered physician-approved. And I say that very loosely.
1: I just saw TikTok about this. Did you? How they use like, marketing techniques to push it? It was... Or was it... It was either TikTok or Facebook, but it was literally like literally today I saw a post and it was like talking about camel cigarettes and it's like doctors use camel cigarettes. So you should.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because there was no clear link between lung cancer and tobacco at all. People actually thought it was healthy for you. And there were a lot of things that advocated for something that could clearly kill people but if products released weren't necessarily deemed as dangerous until years later, until they were linked to deaths, how are people going to know? You know? Mhm. Like it's it's insane. So, I'm not going to talk about cigarettes today because that seems kind of not fun, but I am going to talk about toys that were recalled because they were later found out to be the most dangerous things that kids could actually play with. Ah.
1: Yeah, Very a little weird. Yeah.
0: So the first toy I want to talk about is the Gilbert U-238 Atomic Energy Lab. And this might be the one that a lot of people have heard about. Because when you think of band toys, this is the first one at the top of every single list that I pulled mm. up. Was this stupid atomic energy lab. I swear to God. I actually have no idea what it is.
1: So. No. No.
0: Well, (laughs) the kit was developed in 1950 by A.C. Gilbert Company, which was the vision of Alfred. (laughs) I can't say his name. Of Alfred Carlton Gilbert, who self-identified as a magician, an athlete, a toy maker, and a businessman.
1: At the time, already
0: spooky. Is is it it? already spooky? Yeah, I didn't even know that. Ooh, spooky. So, at the time that the kit was released, Atomic Energy Labs were already popular, and there were over 40 of them on the market. So, I mean, think about all the toys that you see now, Legos,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and all the knockoff of Legos. That's mm-hmm. exactly what you're looking at with these Atomic Energy Labs. So, okay. children's toys, I've learned in the 50s, a lot more intricate than the ones we have now. I think mm-hmm. it's it's like swooping back around, because I'll go like toy shopping with my cousins, and... We'll go there, and I'm like, why do you have to have this battery-powered helicopter for your Barbie? Like, what is that? Like, it's looping back around, but not yeah. in a dangerous way, you know? So, the specific kit contained the following. A battery-powered Geiger-Mueller counter, an electroscope, and I'm going to butcher this one. It's a spin I think? I have no clue what it is. No clue what it does. <laughs> um... It- then you got a Wilson cloud chamber. You got four glass jars containing natural uranium bearings or U two thirty eight, uh huh, and three low-level radiation sources. A Gilbert atomic, atomic energy manual, and of course, they included a 1951 Gilbert toy catalog. See anything weird with that list? Everything. Every single thing, including the uranium, uranium? bearings. Literal uranium. Nowadays,
1: people are like, oh my god, I can't bring a thermometer into my house. It has mercury in it.
0: Yeah, these contain, like, little jars of uranium that you could use for experiments.
1: I'm not gonna lie. If I was a child during this time, you know, I'm a little scientist, so I would probably eat that up, but... I Like, actually eat it? because <laughs> Not that's actually eat it, but, like, I would <laughs> pass it in a to toy say. store and be like, I need that. I would probably actually eat it, knowing me. (laughs) Like, I
0: absolutely would eat the uranium, and my mom would be pissed. She caught poison control
1: on me at least three times as a child. (laughs) Short story, I had to call poison control once, and they put me on hold.
0: Poison control
1: put you on hold? What did you eat? I didn't eat anything. I was doing a science experiment, and an actual, like, I was trying to do a science experiment for a project, and... All I was I was using drain cleaner, and I was using the little, like, not the liquid one, but, you know, the powdery pellet one. Yeah. And I was trying to make a hydrogen balloon, uh, and one of the little pellets, when I went to take the balloon off, flicked off the balloon, hit me in the lip, and my lip started to, like, bubble. Um, like, it was visibly burning. And they put you on a hold. Yeah, and, like my mom was like i'm pretty sure we they're just gonna tell us to rinse it but just to be on the safe side let's call poison control just so we're not overthinking anything and we don't need to do anything extra and all i had to do was they're just like oh just rinse it if the burn starts getting like severely worse go to the er but you should one pellet you should be good just to rinse it but before they told us that they're like please hold
0: it's like nine one one. Like I'm being murdered.
1: Please, Please hold, hold for
0: one second, ma'am. Like and then you just on. hear like.
1: Doo, 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 doo.
0: <laughs> I would be so pissed if I died to like elevator music. Ugh. Um. I swallowed a silicone packet in a shoebox when I was <laughs> little. So my mom had. To, <laughs> my mom had to call poison control because I did that. Um... <laughs>
1: next week's episode, let's just talk about the weird stuff he
0: did. (laughs) So, so Uh. many weird things. (laughs) Kids will eat anything, to be honest, including uranium. Um, The thing about the the Gilbert U-238 kit is it was not popular at all. It was actually taken off of the shelves after a few months, and less than 5,000 kits were sold. Which makes it weird that it was the most notorious banned toy, and that's because a bunch of mommy bloggers got a hold of the toy in like early 2000s and they're like oh my god this is the worst toy in the world but literally there were no incidents reported with this yeah it's super good yeah i mean like i'm assuming whatever parents even in the 1950s buy their kids uranium know to watch after them with the uranium so (laughs) the next toy that i have is called magnetics do you remember magnetics
1: are those like those two rock things that like, you no. put them together and then go?
0: I know what you're talking about, but no. They're very similar.
1: This one hits close
0: to home to me because I had at least three sets of these growing oh, up. Oh, I
1: sure did too. I had no idea they are band
0: Right? Exactly. Um, so it was definitely my favorite toy growing up. I had... So, just in case you guys don't want to look at it, look it up. It's these small plastic cylinders capped with magnets on either side and a solid metal ball that look like marbles that you can connect these cylinders to to build anything you want. They're the world's more futuristic answer to Lincoln logs and Legos, was pretty much the thing. And they were released
1: in the early 2000s. And we will have pictures of all the toys that Shelby is talking about on our Instagram. So, give us a follow to check it out. Absolutely. <laughs> You're so good at
0: promoing. Yes. Um, so on March 31st, 2006, the CPSC, or the Consumer Product Safety Commission, recalled every single product that Magnetics brand had ever released. There was one death related to Magnetics, and it didn't go into specifics, but working with a lot of EMTs and a lot of nurses for the past two and a half years, I can probably tell you that one of the magnets was swallowed. And, like, whenever a tiny magnet is swallowed, it's actually a lot more dangerous than a big magnet. Because oh. tiny magnets are so powerful to make up for their size that they can literally rip through your intestines. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, never swallow a magnet. Just just putting that out there.
1: You know, I feel like being from Canada, we always here so for example like kinder eggs I know Mm -hmm. they're banned in this country but they sure as heck are not banned in Canada
0: right because you think there would be some common sense of don't eat that but like specifically with magnetics I think the magnet was so 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 small that even if you did swallow one you would not be able to tell and the thing with that is 15 thousand magnetics were recalled before the whole entire thing was recalled, are you I just kidding?
1: From my soul. Oh, no!
0: Um, but fifteen thousand magnets had fallen out of the little rods uh, oh. before the product was even recalled. So there was like some faulty like adhesive with the product, mm-hmm. um, so it would separate from the little cylinders. So, like any huge company does, they redesigned the product. And they re-released it. And there has been no incident since. So, there are your magnetics.
1: (laughs) Good. Maybe not buy your kids them.
0: Yeah, don't do that. I'm not going to buy my kids them. But I am going to hit up. I was going to say Toys R Us, but that's gone. I'm going to hit up a toy store. It's not in Canada. Are you kidding me? I have two more toys for you. Ooh, I'm ready. Yeah, so the first one I want to talk about. Or the next one I want to talk about is going to be Bindi's. I don't know if you remember it by that name because there are a lot of different names for this product, but AquaDots, Aqua beads, yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. So they're basically beads coated with a chemical solution that stick together to form whatever you wanna create with just like a little bit of warm water. And I remember the commercials, so much but again since I swallowed the silicone packet my mom would never let me have them because she was like I'm pretty you idiot. sure I
1: had them if not right I just I for sure remember seeing the like infomercials for them
0: yeah it was like late night infomercials and they're just like aqua dots aqua yeah. beads you know what I'm talking about but anyway um so different toys are produced in different places with different like names all from the same company and this toy was produced by and i'm gonna uh absolutely butcher this it's the Wang kui product factory and it was located in shenzhen china i think I i'm it, pretty sure right? For that right yeah i hope so <laughs> i walked myself through it and <laughs> it was recalled in 2007 when the chemical compound used to make the beads stick was closely associated with a sedative drug oh Literally a date rape drug. I'm, why?
1: So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm very speechless, but yeah,
0: essentially without letting a lot of the product designers know the uh, factory that created this toy switched out the coating to a a different one that was a little bit cheaper. I'm not sure how cheaper. I couldn't find out about that but when the beads became wet and kids swallowed them obviously um because they're tiny little beads and you know these kids are like 3 uh, yeah. or 4 years old They're going to eat whatever. Um, It actually ended up putting a couple kids in comas, like four in comas completely. Because it was literally a sedative drug that uh, has the same properties as, like I said, uh, what people commonly refer to as date rape drugs. Yeah. (gasps) Something you'd slip into someone's drink. Fuck men sometimes. Just saying that out loud. Fuck cathartic. Um, But, yeah, no, it, it... Put four people in a coma, two in Sydney, Australia, and I believe two were in China at the time. None of them had lasting side effects, so they're completely fine. But it clearly caught something That's into... Good. uh effect where they were just like okay we need to change this and it actually did change just like magnetics in 2008 they were rebranded and re-put on the shelf with the word safety tested on the front and they're now only for (laughs) six-year-olds and up (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh these kids were accidentally getting drugged uh super fun stuff love that just
1: trying to express their inner artist.
0: Yeah, I'm really gr- glad that my mom and my parents never let me um, get those specifically. It's probably because of the shoe packet incident, but I'm pretty sure I put magnetics in my mouth, too. I'm not going to lie.
1: I'm pretty sure I, yeah, I mean, you see a toy and you just got to just gotta know what it right? like.
0: Like, Polly Pockets, man. Like, I saw so many of those getting recalled, again, because of the tiny magnets in them. Um, so I didn't want to include them on the list, but a lot of them were recalled because of the tiny magnets, but I used to chew on the little Barbie shoes and like the sweaters or like the Polly Pockets,
1: like skirts.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. What's wrong with us? I don't know. (laughs) We have issues. Um, so the last toy that I want to talk about, I know a lot about this one because I wrote an article for a publishing company on it a while ago Mm. and yeah, so They're called jarts. Jarts? Yeah,
1: I know. It really like, like farts with a J. Yeah, it
0: really, it really takes away from the ominous part of it.
1: I promise, we're adults. (laughs) Are we though? No, I'm looking up jarts.
0: (laughs) So they, yeah, they still exist today too. They are basically called lawn darts or jarts. Jarts. Um, Why aren't they called larts? I don't know. That's a really good question. I'm not even sure why they called them jarts. It was just weird. Me, the expert on jarts, not knowing why they're called jarts. (laughs) So the objective of the game was super simple. You form teams of two and set up targets at equal distance from one another. Each player would take turns throwing this giant lawn dart that had a literal needle on the end of it and trying to get it into the middle of the target. Each dart was fixated with a neon plastic body that ended in a pointed metal tip strong enough to embed in it firmly into grassy surfaces. And that is where the problem with this innocent game began.
1: Oh.
0: Right. Ooh, Carly got a blanket. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm cold or these jarts are getting me. It's the jarts, man. Um... So the darts for the game were meant to be tossed into the air, kind of like an underhanded throw for baseball. They had a little weight on the end. You said what? A lob. Is that what that is? Yes. This is why you're the sports person. A lob. A lob. Um, So they did have a little weight on the end that would increase the actual velocity towards the ground. And this was super dangerous for a lot of children, who the game was targeted for in the first place. There were more than sixty-one thousand emergency room visits throughout the '50s to the '80s, and eighty-one percent of that total of that total were kids under the age of fifteen years old. Ooh. right! Like this is, and I'm dumbing this down because I had a whole literal like comprehensive thing about it. So the public started to form together in an attempt to ban the toy after the personal injuries continued to rise. It was first attempted in the 1970s by the CPSC or the Consumer Product Safety Commission again, uh, but was ultimately dampened when the manufacturers started to put a warning label on the package explaining the dangers of lawn darts. With the label, they were also told to stop marketing them as toys for children altogether. Uh, but the issue with this is they were still included in children's toys. Like, you could go to Walmart at the time and buy this, like, giant pack that said, like, lawn toys. So you had, like, your beanbags. You had a bunch of stuff like that. You had, like, little golf clubs, everything like that. And the lawn darts were in there. And they are literally mm-hmm. mini weapons. Yeah. So what are yeah. you going to do? Um, so there was one fatality Oh, yeah, uh, this little girl, she got hit in the back of the neck with the dart and it pierced her spinal cord. And she, yeah, she uh, died on the spot. And I don't I don't know what people were thinking, because, you know, the CPSC were trying to stop this. But this is like a very violent death related to a lawn toy Uh, and the dad of the little girl. Was so upset by this as he should be that for sure, for he sure. actually took the original makers of jarts to the to court, and okay. um, there was a settlement that said they could no longer make them. Which you know you can still go on eBay today and you can buy the original 1950 set of lawn darts, but they're more like. Uh, kind of, like, nostalgia purposes or, like, just in museums, which I know I say that weird, museums. Museums. (laughs) Museums. Um, But, yeah, they're in, like, different packs on eBay that you can get, and you can actually buy them today, too, but the bottom has since been replaced. The weight's still there, but there's no longer a tip that, like, embeds them into the grass because that is, again, a literal weapon. Super
1: unsafe. Yeah, Yeah,
0: so... That for me, I know I mentioned that the U two thirty or two eighty three, the uranium was the super dangerous, s- most dangerous toy that people consider. But I personally think that this one is because this one actually had a death attached to it. Yeah, and um, the the design of the actual lawn darts are based off of literal medieval javelins. Like, that is what they were going for. So, you know, I might link the article that I wrote a couple years back somewhere. Yeah, do it. I might. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, holy shit, man. You just got killed by a toy. Like, that's wild.
1: That's nuts, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that is is all I
1: have today is... Well, that was super interesting. It was a little different, like, this episode was a little different than our other episodes but in terms of subject matter
0: yeah i half-assed this one i'm not gonna lie i had a long week at work so i was like i I literally just wrote this up last week or yesterday
1: um for those listening if you have any you know it's the month of october so if you have any halloween or spooky stories uh you can go ahead and message us uh Post to ghost submissions at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at c 2 pod and send us you, the stories you want to hear.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited. I think next weekend, since it's closest to Halloween we can actually get, we're going to do some spooky Halloween-related crimes and, like, Ooh. scary stories. I don't know if I told Carly that yet, but... No, but oh.
1: I'm down.
0: <laughs> I thought I did. I'm really bad at texting. I black <laughs> out sometimes. <laughs> I'm so bad. I'm so bad. It's okay. I think we have to go cuz I'm about to jerk.